DJ, PK, and Ryan Abraham join us from USCfootball.com. He is on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. You guys ready for some football? Absolutely. USC is Game 3. Uh, the Game 3 in the USC schedule is BYU. Game 4 is Utah. So we're going to be seeing a lot of the Trojans. And I'm curious now, we've talked to other people who, you know, write, they have national websites, magazines, whatever. And one guy we had on recently, we were talking to him. He said, Utah slam dunk to win the South. And I said, what about USC? And he said, you know, everyone's talking about the air raid and the offensive coaches, and that is a change. And it may not, you know, they may not hit the ground running, and they've got the Stanford game early and the Utah game early and all that. He said, but everybody's overlooking the fact that they lost five really good players off the defense. And, you know, they got guys playing the NFL who helped them a year ago. And that is going to be a huge problem. Are you buying that, or is the defense going to be just fine? Yeah, no, I think that's a legitimate concern. I mean, some real senior leaders, and now you got, I think, four senior defensive players total, and like one of them's probably not going to be playing much. So there's not a lot of senior leadership there. You lose, you know, highly productive guys, especially in the secondary, Jenny Harris and Iman Marshall and Marvell Tell. And a guy like Porter Augustine, when he was healthy, was just out there as a sack machine. They've tried to change things up a little bit. They're going to play a simpler style of defense because they know they have younger guys out there. And all the players we talked to say that, yeah, it's just you kind of run around getting to the football more as opposed to trying to read it and react. And the, the secondary, I think, would be the biggest concern because they lost so many bodies there. And a bunch of the guys that are coming back were coming off injuries, multiple shoulder surgeries or you know broken clavicles, things like that. But they've all looked pretty good in the fall, and all the freshmen come in have played pretty well. So I think that there's a deep enough group uh, in the secondary that you don't have to be as concerned. The front seven, I think, is pretty deep. But how they all kind of play and gel together certainly could be a legitimate concern. It's not a mass change like you saw on the offensive side of the ball, but they are trying to simplify things, play a little bit different front with an extra guy with his hand on the ground. That's how they're trying to combat that. But you're right. I mean, losing a lot of veteran leadership from last year could be a legitimate concern. So... I was down in uh, Hollywood last month broadcasting all day at Pac-12 Media Day and all the, brought all the coaches and the players through, and obviously Helton came through. And it seemed to me that he wasn't ready to full-time commit to Daniels as the starting quarterback. And now here we are three weeks later, basically. Has there been a commitment? Is he going to be the starting quarterback? Or is he still mentioning a couple other guys plus a new guy? No, he's still mentioning everybody, and I think that's been one of the themes. Last year, there was some criticism on the coaching staff for playing like a guy like center Toa Lobendon, who was not snapping the ball well and, and making JT Daniels kind of reach all over the place just to get the play started. Um, I think now they've said, okay, every position's up for grabs. It's a competition, and I think they're taking that almost to an extreme at the quarterback spot. Graham Harrell said he'd like to know after next weekend's scrimmage. They're doing one August 17th. He thinks he'd have a pretty good idea who the quarterback will be at that point. But Clay Allen keeps saying it might take all the practices up until the Fresno State game. I think we'll know probably after next week, like a week from today, uh, we'll probably know who the quarterback is. But if you looked at the scrimmage from over the weekend, all the quarterbacks do well. I guess that's one of the hard things about this. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense, and everyone's going to look pretty good as opposed to like last last spring and, and last fall. Like JT Daniels looked pretty good. But in the spring – both Matt Fink and Jack Sears 
didn't look very good. They opened up the door for JT Daniels to come in and win in the fall. Now all these guys, even Keaton Slovis, the, the incoming freshman, they all look really good uh, in this offense. So it makes it a little bit tougher choice. But a guy with 11 starts under his belt, I agree with you. I think he's going to be named the starter. They just haven't done it yet. Probably next week. So is the offense really taking hold, or is that still a big question mark? Are they going to be able to hit the ground running? Because the schedule just isn't very forgiving. No, it's a very tough schedule to start. You know, the the good part is for them is that it, it's really easy to install in the spring. They did it in three three practices, so they got to you know go over it five times basically in the fifteen practices. They had and now I think they didn't have as many wide receivers healthy. They didn't have as many defensive backs to go against that were healthy. Now they have all that, so I think this is the time where you can kind of get a real. They're, it's, they're really taking a bite of this offense, and you're getting a better feel for it. I think the passing game is there. I'm not sure the running game is. I just, you know, the, the, they've had two like full pads practices, like, you know, one scrimmage, and we just haven't seen outside of uh, Marquis Step, the sophomore, um, you know, much in the running game going. And you know, Marquis Step is like a 230 pound back, which you typically don't have in this type of offense. And maybe that's kind of leftover offensive line blocking from last year. I'm not sure, but I think the running game hasn't been there yet. That might be the slowest to come through, but as far as the passing game goes, it seems like they've hit the ground running with that, but as the whole offense working together, I don't think it's all there yet. Well, the the, the run game is interesting because you look at SC historically, obviously, they've run games, student body left and right and all that stuff has been great through the years, but you know, you bring in a leech guy and Graham Hurl as the offensive coordinator, it's known for the air raid, not the run raid. And then you look <laughs> at these receivers. I mean, I can go and name you Pittman and Vaughns and St. Brown. And, I mean, all these guys, all three of them are studs. And, you know, they got a kid named Kyle Ford. I'm not sure about Brew McCoy, if he's transferred back to SC or what day it is and far as uh, if he's eligible or if he transferred someplace else. So I don't know where he's going to be. But I look at that pass game figuring, well, with this Harold's offense, they should be able to throw the ball because that's where their talent lies so I'm not actually expecting a whole lot of production out of the run game with this offense with the air raid and all with the quarterback and the receivers how much production can we expect anyway even if it's at its best through the run game yeah you know and I think that's a great point because the receivers are so deep um I'm gonna say Brown just could be an all-american this year and you know Michael Pittman's a senior Tyler Vaughn's and all those guys you mentioned Drake London's a six-five incoming freshman that plays basketball who's looked awesome out there. Um, so they have a lot of receivers, you know, the young guys and stuff coming in. But if you looked at this offense from last year uh, at North Texas, uh, they ran the ball for almost two thousand yards. They do want. It's not a seventy percent pass kind of offense. I think it'll be adjusted somewhat at USC, and it, maybe they even throw it a little bit more at USC than they did at North Texas last year. Uh, but it's not going to be a pure like Mike Leach sort of air raid but clay helton does want to establish run depending on the matchup too which game you're in he wants to be able to make sure that this team is able to run the football and i think they got good running backs with Stephen carr and marquis step and levi malpei but i'm not sure with the offensive line yet if it's going to be there i think they can hold their blocks for the the pass game but are they going to be able to muscle people through and pick up three four yards when you need to in the run game it's hard to say they're going to want to do it but if they're not having success, maybe they do move towards throwing the ball more, you know, 65, 70% of the time, even though that wasn't the plan coming in. I, I think that might be something that develops throughout the year. They do expect that they wanted to have a run game. Uh, USC fans, like you said, the 
didn't buy left to my right. They don't want to abandon the run game, but this is going to be an offense, I think, that's really more pass-happy, I think, than even they thought it was going to be just because that's where most of their talent lies. You know, it's so hard to figure stuff out during scrimmages. Guys are held out. Defenses can be vanilla. Quarterbacks can't be hit. Sometimes you just kind of have to read the tone and body language of what coaches say to get a read on their level of confidence and their expectations going into a season. And I'm curious what you think about that. You know, Obviously, we don't have a lot of exposure here, but I think a lot of people came away from Pac-12 media days thinking that the body language for Clay Helton wasn't great. Maybe, you know, he just had a bad breakfast that day. Who knows? How, how have you read it? What have you seen these last couple weeks? You know, it's interesting because I think they could have made some changes after 2017. They uh, didn't, you know, they won the Pac-12, but they didn't look good against the power opponents like uh, Notre Dame and, and especially Ohio State and the Cotton Bowl. And he didn't make changes. I feel like last year after 5-7, and seven, he was sort of forced to make the changes. And you weren't really sure... Is he going to embrace them? But from what we've seen in the camp, I think he has embraced the changes. I, I know he feels really comfortable doing things the way he's always done them, but I, I, the changes were sort of forced on him. But I feel like he's embraced them pretty well. Um, I, I'm curious to see if that's going to stay throughout. You know, the, if they have a, they struggle early in that tough part of the schedule, and he kind of wants to go back to tinkering with the offense or anything like that. But from what I've seen so far. It's not. I don't think it's been the best body language, but I feel like the changes have been made. Maybe he didn't like them at first, but he's sort of like, "Hey, this is the way it has to be." I know he wants to. You know, it's a three million dollar a year job. He would love to keep it, but there was no way he was going to be able to keep it if he, if he kept uh, standing pat and doing things the way they were before. So I think it's not been terrible, uh, the body language and stuff. But um, just it's more of like a, an acceptance that's happened that he knows if he doesn't do this, he's really not going to be the head coach much longer. So you look at defense and, you know, you see that they're starting a bunch of young guys, not just new guys, but young guys, potentially anyway, unless it's changed since I last looked on the defensive backfield. And so, you know, you have some concerns there, and I'm sure there's talent, uh, but obviously that can be mitigated with a pass rush. And as I look up front with Rector, a local kid here, Tufele and Tui Pelotu, the down linemen, and then with linebackers, uh, they, they got uh, a couple of guys' experience, but you mentioned losing Gustin. The point I'm at getting at is how much pressure are they going to be able to make get on the quarterback to make it easier for the guys in the back? Yeah, I, th- I like the defensive tackle spot. I mean, Jay Tefele was a five-star coming in who ended up redshirting. I think he's like he's changed his body in the offseason. He looks like he looks like a Utah kind of guy, you know, like someone like, hey, this guy's going to come in, you know, where he's from. But he's, he's someone who's going to come in and just be really productive. Uh, and Braden Peely, the kid from Alaska, and Marlon Tupelopdu. I think between those three guys at the defensive tackle spot, they'll be able to rotate him in. I think Christian Rector did really well at, when he wasn't hurt filling in for Porter Gustin. And him with his hand on the ground, I think, will help generate a lot of pressure. But the guy you want to watch for is number 99, Drake Jackson, an incoming freshman. He's actually, you know, he's been wowing everybody. And I, I think between those guys up front and then bringing maybe like a, a Hunter Eccles or a Kanai Mauga, like some, some of these guys that are really good rushing off the edge, um, I think they're going to be able to generate a little bit more pressure. I'm not sure if he's going to blitz more. Um, because they have a younger secondary, they might not uh, rush extra guys as much. So it's going to be up to those guys uh, in the front four trying to generate some pressure. If they don't, I think it's going to be another long year. But there's the talent there. I think they have the potential to. We'll just see what these kind of uh, minute scheme changes, if it's able to help those guys and, and free them up a little bit. 
You know, schemes are good, but if you have enough NFL talent, you're probably going to win a bunch of matchups in a college game, and you're probably going to win a bunch of games regardless of what your scheme is. How many NFL guys are there in USC starting 22, 24 if you want to go with a specialist? Well, that's a that's a really good question. I have to go through it, you know, deep, but I feel like on a, you know the defensive line, like I mentioned, a guy like Jay Tafele, and I think and Brandon Peely can be um, a couple guys in the secondary, really, like like Talanoa Funga. Uh, and uh, and Elijah Griffin's been a cornerback, and he's just been a kind of stud. I'd, I'd probably give you a handful on each side of the ball, maybe like nine or ten, which is pretty good. Uh, there's all those receivers, I think, have the potential there. Um, and there's some that are kind of to be determined. But I would say like nine or ten for sure in the 22, and then if some other guys develop, uh, they would have that potential too. But that's, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think it's as many as like surefire ones as you have seen in years past for USC. And that, you know, it's kind of, I guess, the sign of the times. Uh, the recruiting hasn't been going as well. And, uh, you know, the big thing has been the player development. If if they have some new coaches that can kind of get the guys in there and develop them better and prepare them for the NFL, then that number could go up. So I'm going to set the standard at eight. Eight is enough. Is it enough to retain Clay Hilton? That's an awesome question, too. I think it depends how you get there. And the first six games are the most important to me because – uh, like a two and four start, and then you, you could easily win the last six games on the schedule. I just don't think that would be enough because then you're not, you know, you're not winning the Pac-12 South. Right. I, I mean, there's scenarios where they could win the South and go eight and four. That that would help. Uh, but if you don't win the South and you go eight and four, and it, really, if if you're on the road at Washington and, and look bad, or you know, on the road at Notre Dame and look bad, I don't think it's easy to recover. They would have to be like tight losses to some of those you know power teams if they lose to Utah which you know really could decide the south but it's a really close game that normally are uh, but you don't look you don't get embarrassed on the road against some of the power teams I, I think there's potential there but and it depends who you ask I mean I, if you asked me last year five and seven he would have been gone and he wasn't so but I feel like eight and four is sort of that middle ground that if they somehow squeak out the south then maybe it's easier to keep them if yeah. not, and you look bad in some of the great games, I don't, I don't think he sticks around. See, I think that an 0-2 start in conference with, and I've been in the Coliseum over the years, having used to work for the Daily Breeze, to where if they lose that second conference game, which is a home game to Utah, I've seen it before, and I'll probably see it again. They get booed off the field. Yeah, that could easily that could easily happen. And I mean, you can't discount Fresno State and BYU. BYU's on the road. I mean, right. Those are not going to be easy games either. But, yeah, that's, the Utah one is probably the most important, you know, the, the, the pick to win the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12. Um, I, I think he kind of needs results this year to keep his job. And if you lose to Utah, like winning the South is pretty much impossible. So I, I, I agree with you there. And it's the newly renovated Coliseum. It's not going to be – they don't have as many seats, 77,000 seats now. If you got people booing or not showing up after that, it's going to be really tough to, to keep him around. Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. So the way the BYU and Utah games sit on the schedule is the third and fourth games. They they have the opportunity to to wreck Clay Hilton's career right there, depending on how those games go, don't they? 100%. I mean, that, Utah's super important because, obviously, it's for the Pac-12 South. BYU is really important because you look at their out-of-conference games. I mean, they're on the road at Notre Dame. That's tough playing a 12-win Fresno State team to open the Coliseum. That's not going to be easy. Jeff Tedford's a great coach. And you saw the way BYU was playing at the end of last year. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that super potential there. Losing to BYU would be unacceptable. And it's not like it would be uh, this 
horrible thing, but just the perception there. And I think BYU is going to have a really good team this year. They got to play Tennessee and Washington and Utah to start the season. It's not going to be easy. But if you look at those four games, what's the easiest win for BYU? You're either saying Tennessee on the road in Knoxville, that's not easy, or USC at home. So uh, it, BYU will be fired up for that. If USC's not and they lose, I mean, it's. I think that would be the end for for Clay Helton, and it's not some you know it's not some cakewalk game. It's going to be a tough one, but it's it's a must win for Clay Helton. Yeah, you look at SC's schedule. I don't think they play a team with a losing record from last season until halfway through when they get Arizona. So is it if it is the end of Clay Helton? Is it the beginning of Urban Meyer? Uh, that would be uh, out of character for USC <laughs> to hire a guy like Urban Meyer. The last coach that USC hired who had won a national championship before was Howard Jones in like 1925. So they just haven't (laughs) gone out and done that. Uh, It's the obvious choice because he's an unemployed coach that's working in media in Los Angeles and they would need a coach. Um, I think it would take a change in the administration. They have a new president that came in in July. If she, if Carol Folk comes in and and kind of cleans up the athletic department, there's potential there. But the, the people that make up the athletic department now I wouldn't see any way possible they'd hire someone as established uh, and as powerful as a guy like Urban Meyer. So I, I don't think it would happen. The question would be is, are they going to have to make some kind of move during the season and fire their third coach uh, during the season in a row? Uh, I don't know. But that early part of the schedule, like you mentioned, if it starts off 2-4 and four or something, maybe they do. He's Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. How did you get that website? What a strong domain name you captured there. How'd you do that? That was back in 1997 when there was just stuff available. Yeah, people asked, like, how much did you pay for that? I'm like, 10 bucks. It was like, it was open. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the back of the day. You know, you got to do it a long time ago. Well, wise investment by you. Ryan, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much. Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. The Cougars and the Utes, back-to-back, weeks three and four. Who's going to be the best team in Utah? BYU, Utah, USC. (laughs) Bada-bing. Washington. That's right, because Washington's playing both the Utes and Cougars as well. That's why I really believe BYU, in their scheduling, should do two things. They should play as many Pac-12 teams as they can and as many Mountain West teams as they can. That's what generates the most interest. It looks like they're going to have, for the foreseeable future, a minimum of three Pac-12 teams because they got that Thanksgiving Day arrangement with USC and Stanford, Thanksgiving weekend weekend arrangement with uh, USC and Stanford, Mm -hmm. and it looks like the youth series is continuing, so you got those three locked in, and then of the other nine, who wants to go home and home and Pro coming up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that for the fan base, that gives them the most excitement. I, I think playing whatever Central, South, Midwest, Florida you want is nice, but there's no buzz to it after the game itself. Nobody pays attention to what those teams do, and you can't judge it. Whereas here, we're naturally inclined to look West, so if you beat SC and then SC beats those guys, your dreaded rival, well, it's it's fun. And then you compare, well, they play Washington, we play Washington, and you got something there. And then the same thing with the Mountain West. You know, at least you know of Wyoming, you know of CSU and so forth, and the Aggies have to play them. So there's some comparison. If you don't have the fun of getting into November and following a conference race, at least have that to where you have familiarity with the programs and your team played them knowing that the Aggies and the Utes 
are going to play them probably too. So that's the two objectives. Scheduling as an independent, in my mind, is as many Pac-12 and as many Mountain West teams as you possibly can get. Well, you look at 2021, that schedule is done, and Tom Holman's put five Pac-12 teams on the schedule. Great. Two years Excellent job. Way to go, Tom. Both the Arizona schools. That's even better. Yeah. Because there's tons of Latter-day Saints down there, and, and you just know yeah. people, and Mike, you recruit yeah. heavily down there. Mike Leach is on the schedule. Assuming Mike he's still, Leach? Assuming he's still Washington State. Yeah, they, I think that's a return game. BYU owes them. I think that is that what it one is? like 2012. Yeah, that's, I think yeah. they're finally paying that yeah, one back. Yeah, right. And so, yes, absolutely. Mike Leach, if he, I, don't, I don't know if he's there, but even if he's not there, it doesn't matter. It's only two years. It, it adds good luster if he's there for sure. Yeah. But play those teams as much as you possibly can. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. RSL terminated the contract of Mike Pecky and made top assistant coach Freddie War as the interim coach for the remainder of the season. Sunday night, RSL coming off a win at Sporting Kansas City, hosts Seattle Wednesday night. Major League Baseball, the Baltimore Orioles walk-off 8-7 win over the Houston Astros was the biggest upset in MLB in 15 years, according to Vegas Sportsbooks. The Orioles, with the 29th best record, take down a team that's battling for the best record in all of baseball. Bees lose to the Iowa Cubs 5-2. Game 3 in the series tonight, 6 o'clock. Listen to it on the Zone Sports Network. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Diamond Airport Parking. Fantastic rates, free car watches, 24-7 shuttle service, detail, oil changes, and glass repair while you're away. It's Diamond Airport with the best rewards program in Utah. It's the only airport valet service in Utah. Park, ride, and save just off I-80 and Redwood Road. That's Diamond Airport Parking. Three, two, one, one, one. The countdown is back on the Zone Sports Network. It's the fifth annual college football top 60 and 60. As we count you down to the start of the college football season. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another selection. I see you on five. Leading up to the start of the 2019 season. As voted on by the local media and you the fans. It's the top 60 and 60. Presented by Cypress Credit Union, the Southtown Auto Mall, and Master Electrical Service. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Obviously, there was a decision made, and there was some confusion with this new process, and uh, I made decisions that uh, have, have caused an outcome that, that none of us like, and I just want everyone to know that my, my intent was never to do something wrong. You know, I was trying to do the right things. I was trying to do things the right way. I was going through this new process in the way I thought you were supposed to go through it, and... When I met with the coaching staff and we found out that there were missteps, we went back and tried to correct everything. Yoli Childs explaining how he ended up suspended for nine games. The schedule isn't out yet, but we are assuming he's going to miss the Utah game and the trip to Maui for three games in the Maui Classic, which we assume is going to mean more loss and is going to mean hard for BYU to get in a large bid to the NCAA tournament. And he's a senior. And this seems harsh. I'm going on hunger strike until they free Yoli. I'm going to eat nothing but pasta. That doesn't really make sense. That's not a hunger strike. Yeah, eating that's pasta not a hunger strike. So, 99 percent of the food groups, I'm not going to eat. Yeah, but 
Yeah, well, I'm only Whatever. eating chocolate. Okay. <laughs> I'm only eating right, hamburgers. All right, there we go. On three. Ready, <laughs> family? <laughs> now, this is ridiculous. Nine games? Nine games. That's way too long. It reminds me way back when... This is going back 20 years. Brandon Jesse did something, and I can't remember what he did. But he got a suspension that I believe was nine games. It was eight or nine games. And so he missed this portion of his senior year for the Utes, youth basketball player. And Chris Hill called me to tell me about the suspension, and obviously we were going to go on the record with some quotes. And the first 20 minutes... I couldn't have quoted one thing he said. <laughs> He's so mad. <laughs> yes. He was furious. He's a big NCAA guy. Yes. I mean, he put a lot of time and energy into it. We were talking earlier this morning how it's easy to crack on the NCAA because it seems like they make big, obvious mistakes. But it's also easy to crack on the NCAA because there's no one to bite back at you. You know, Right. They're not local. They're not going to restrict your access or get on the phone or yell or go to another media outlet and... There just isn't. There just aren't going to be repercussions. Chris was steaming, man. I don't think I'd ever seen him that mad in a situation that did not involve Gordon Monson. Let's <laughs> see what you did there. Let's see what you did. I there. can't help myself sometimes. That's clear. <laughs> That's obvious. No, in all seriousness, he was hot, and and I remember talking to Frank Layden because Frank Layden was doing the games at the time. See, what? I think we just found something that Gordon and Chris would agree on. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you and your bad attitude, your nasty cheap shots. We could get them in a room. Hey, I found something you guys agree on. Listen to this. And they're like, Yeah, we do agree. <laughs> Kid Ann. That's funny. Come on, it's, it's over now. Can't laugh about it. But remember Frank telling me, Why do we have to punish young people? Take away games. Why can't we, if they broke some kind of rule, have them do some type of positive stuff instead of take away games? Why is it always the easiest option? Take away games. Can't they do something that could be more productive than simply take away games? And I remember having a, talking to him about that because he was covering the youths and I spent some time with him out on the road. And I think, yeah. What, Yoli Childs, for what he did, missing nine games when there's academic fraud and guys getting money, tens of thousands of dollars, just seems like, man, this is so stupid. There's no other way to administer some form of a punishment, particularly when there was a coaching change and Mark Pope comes in and had to resell him on coming back. Because there's a coaching change. And I don't, I haven't spoken to Yoli about it, but how much did that factor in your decision to leave? And then obviously the coach, the new coaches factored in your decision to come back. So I just think it's extenuating circumstances and make them miss Maui. That's a blow. It is, but that would still hurt. You know, they need to go out there and get a marquee win. It seems really hard now. I know, but you're not only doing that, you're getting everything, basically, I, I the entire that. non-conference. I, I thought what you said earlier was spot on, so I didn't say much and just sit here and repeat each other. But if you got a game or two, typically you're not playing anybody in the first game or two, and it doesn't seem like he was trying to get something in advantage. Right. The kid's never been through the process. He doesn't have a coach to guide him. And I'm sure the NCAA is saying, well, that's why you have compliance. It still should have gone right. Yeah, 
but this isn't something compliance does every day. And I think the way it works on most campuses, when coach have a, a question or an issue, they call compliance in. This would yeah, require yeah. compliance to be more proactive. Yeah, I don't know about. I, that. Just, I get your point. I don't know just, who dropped. If anybody, I don't, and the I ball. don't, and I don't either. And they've also they've also changed but, these rules on these agents right, in the last three rules, months again. They were changed again and yeah. again. So I, hey, if you want, and they do need a marquee win. So if you want to pick an easy win that you know you're going to get, here we have go. them sit out the Utah game. There it is. <laughs> we get all feel you building up. You know that. what I mean? Yeah. So it just seems like if you're a coach who makes millions and can hire attorneys and batter the NCAA, they're careful with you. And if you're a school that's a marquee name that provides TV cash, they're really careful with you. But if you're an isolated kid at, an, at a, I don't know, 80% of the schools, they can go at you. Not That's what the I'm Cougars. taking away. No. Yeah, apparently the Cougars. The Cougars have had no problems with the NCA since when? A year ago. Oh, okay. You got me there. And maybe Yoli's <laughs> maybe Yoli's paying for that, but that seems different. In that case, you've got a kid who's taking trips, okay? And so you're getting this. Uh, what what's the NCA lingo? It's been a benefits, uh, impermissible benefits, something of it not available. To Outrageous, illegal, and you know, fetching not right. It's okay, impermissible okay, right. benefits. In, impermissible benefits. <laughs> But I thought it was just kid, fetching not right. This is a kid checking out the NBA's interest in it. Fetching not right benefits. Okay, <laughs> this come. one seems. You right. heard CTR? I think it is. No, this is FNR. Fetching not right. <laughs> now we're gonna get FNR tweets. <laughs> hey, remember what I told you? We're in the rot. The room, of truth. the room of truth. Yes. We Fetch almost, yeah. We almost let that go, but you held on to it this over the weekend. This is the rot. When we come in the studio, All it's right. the rot. Let's get to it with uh, Mike Pecky. We talked about that earlier in the show with Petke getting fired. And I think it comes down to Dwight uh, Hansen likes him and really didn't want to because he could have fired him at the start of the suspension or and instead of the suspension. And I if that's the case. And, and I think, but I think that the feedback he gets from the league office, around the league, fans, Corporate sponsors. Brad Rock went out. I I think it's a c- accumulation of all Rock. these things. Brad Rock, the retiring wrote Brad Rock. Yes, he wrote a thing that it's uh, and he's got a quote and it's a uh, something that was done with one of the websites that covers the team. I saw that too. And you can you can go read the whole thing. But to summarize it, the in 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 Brad's column and in the in the website, they talk about the split in the fan base. The younger fans. According to the story, Deloitte believes about 90% of them wanted Pecky out, and of the older fans, about 90% wanted him to stay. Both those numbers seem a little extreme. I get the split. I've heard some people... How realistic is that? I've heard some people who are older wanted him out. That's well, of course. The corporate... 90%, you're going to hear 10%. Okay, but I, I think it's more than 10. I just... Okay, but I mean, whether it is or it isn't, there's right. still a fair amount of folks. Yeah, I don't know the split's that big, but I get that there's a generational split. I, the thing that I don't like is that you're reacting to public sentiment. You got to decide if it's right or wrong, not based on public sentiment. You got to decide whether it's right or wrong. Right, and I think a couple based things, on right or wrong, and a couple things, and I'd really like to be in the room to know which of these points was pushed the most. But I expect that they all were, although I don't know it, but I expect they were. Is that what works against Mike here? Is this is the third time he's been suspended, and that this isn't isn't just what was captured on the TV broadcast on the field after the cooling off period, or what should have been a cooling off period in the hallway 
And if we give you another chance, is there going to be a fourth incident? Is there going to be another one next July? Because they're having to like clockwork every July. Okay, I, I think both that, those things that work against them. That was three weeks him. ago. I get that. What took so long? Either it's right or it's wrong. Either it's good enough to be retained, or it's bad enough to be terminated. Not put my finger up and see which way public opinion is blowing. I I get all of that, and I can't argue with any of it because you're right. But I think it comes down to someone's got to make a decision. He's got to fire someone he likes, and that's hard. And I right. and I've never and, been in that position, and, but I sympathize with and him. And the three week suspension gives him time, even though it ends up not looking good and brings up all the points you do. It does give him time to think: Do I really want to do this? At which point, everybody's saying, "Well, if I got a chance to win, I'm going to." Whether it's someone in the league office or the commissioner or a sponsor or fans, just it's social media. Fans can go right at the club. And they can, yeah. And they do. I don't think you totally ignore it, but I think you got to make the decision based on whether it's right to retain him or it's right to fire him, not public sentiment specifically. Yeah. That gets a little dangerous. Doesn't mean you discount. And especially if you start getting into sponsorships, if you start giving those folks power, They'll exercise it. Yeah. They're, the companies who advertise look at the names of the companies. They're used to exercising power. That's how they got so big and powerful in the first place. That's dangerous. You got to make decisions that are right for your club. It's in the best interest of your club. Whatever that club is, it whatever sport it is, it doesn't yeah. matter. Whatever it is. And the bottom line is I can't argue with them firing him based on the precedents and based on the most recent action. One of the other things that factors in is the Spanish word he used is a word that they're trying to ban from stadiums and willing to ban fans. And then you got a coach over here using it on TV at midfield. All of that stuff is bad. Right. And I think it all adds up. Now, I don't know that any one thing would have gotten fired. I'm sure there are people who could argue easily that one of them should. But the collective weight of all of them warn them. And I just think the thought of, okay, if... If you bring him back, then there's going to be press conference or availability. He's going to have to explain it. It's going to bring it Which all up would again. Have. Are we ever going to get out of this? You're going to have to make a move here. Okay. Because all these questions come up again. Yeah, but I think and, he would and, have handled himself well and explained his, ina- his actions as whatever how he would explain them. All right, so that was another thing we talked about. And then one last thing, and, and we're running out of time here in this segment, but we talked about BYU and Utah coming out of the scrimmages, which the media can't see, but Coach is very positive about critical positions. BYU thinks yeah. they found a running back. The Utes have found a deep threat. Yak, you want to play Kyle Whittingham on uh, Jalen Davis? He is a legit deep threat. As, as legit a deep threat as there is in the country. One of, you know, one of, the, one of the best deep threats in the country. He's blazing fast. Blazing? One of the best deep threats in the country. Sweet. Okay, then. Because he was good for about 30 catches and 600 yards. Not exactly, but ballpark last year. And half of his catches came in the last two games. He was getting better as the year went along. Yeah, he also had a connection with Jason Shelley that he didn't have with the other guy. Yep. This is great news because that's something that they've been missing. Dyson Williams, grad transfer running back from South Carolina, giving BYU the feature back they need. I hope I see the name on his jersey a lot this year. Because he's lying on the ground in the end zone with the name up? No. Or he's jogging up back off the field and the camera gets him? 
The camera's getting him as he's running into the end zone. Oh, there it is. The Joe Williams thing down at the Rose Bowl. All you saw was Williams on the back. Jay Williams, because he was running for six. There he goes! Every time he touched the ball. Off to the races! It was Gus Johnson. Gus Gasms. It was awesome. Don't ever say Gus Gasms again, please. Okay, I don't want to hear that. Don't ever say that. There he goes! That's what it was. Okay, but don't say that. Okay, Okay. don't say that. For your, I will refrain. I've kind of established myself, uses. but you're on the way up, so don't say gusgasms. Nine AM Slacker Radio headlines brought to you by Larry H. Miller Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Your feedback next. Don't go nowhere. This 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 is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. This eight-year-old Swedish girl in a lake in Sweden stepped on something in this lake. She pulled it up, and it was a thousand-year-old Viking sword. If you found something that was a thousand years old and priceless, like do you call authorities or well, you get to keep this? I mean, is this no, yours now? No, this was taken from her. The only thing she's gonna get is recognition well, then, that she found it. If I ever find a dinosaur bone that's rare, I'm just gonna keep it. The last thing I want is somebody marching into my front room. Declaring prima nocta on that thing and taking it. Prima nocta. Yeah, it's an old saying when you could come in and take anything you wanted. Oh yeah, that's nice. Well done by you. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Doesn't matter who we have at receiver. We'll still run over those Division Three Cougars to start the season. Boom. We own you, BYU. Nine is coming. And then 10, and then 11, and then 12, and it will not stop. Go Utes. Give me three words. Three words. Fetch and not right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's two words, but if you want to extend it to three. <laughs> Way to go, guys. We appreciate that. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. There you go. We appreciate that feedback, don't we, Sniggy? Uh, I was on the phone out of the room, so I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> hey, play the play them both for for Sneaky. He'll he'll enjoy him. He needs a laugh right now. Doesn't matter who we have at receiver. We'll still run over those Division Three Cougars to start the season. Boom. We own you, BYU. Nine is coming, and then ten, and then eleven, and then twelve, and it will not stop. Go Utes. Give me three words. Three words. Fetch and not right. <laughs> That was well done, whoever that was. Yeah, that was very, very well done. I told you. That's <laughs> not right. Look what you started. <laughs> Instead of CTR, it is FNR. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake. I already read that. I already oh, that. you already read Stay it? With oh, us, well, we're good. Well, look at this. Tony's leaning against the wall holding that wall up. Austin's leaning over here holding this glass wall up. Maybe we should just wrap it up and let well, him take it. I, no, I think they actually want to talk to you when we get off the air. All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.